The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by Aaron Lammer. You guys might know him from Coin Talk Show, which uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. You guys might know him from the Long Form Podcast. Um, Aaron is one of the, to me, most entertaining people on the internet. He has a show with Jay Kang that uh, I really enjoy listening to. Uh, Aaron also has, uh, you know, a lot of great content out there on the internet, and I would recommend that you guys follow him and engage with his work. But in this show, we talked about, of course, the coronavirus. We talked about Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin, the world of Bitcoin. We talked about, you know, what happened to Libra, uh, some of the conspiracy theories that are, are floating there around in the world right now, and, uh, you know, gambling, the, the state of gambling, and just, you know, just kind of chatted about uh, you know, what, what is going on in, uh, the world today. So I thought it was a pretty interesting episode. I really enjoy talking to Aaron. I think he's a really intelligent guy. I think that you guys will enjoy hearing what he has to say. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash TakeCast, or you can just leave a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. That is very helpful. That's very useful. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming Aaron Lammer back to the show. He was on, uh, gotta be like two-ish years ago now, back when Coin Talk Show was not something that had to be hold for a for a once in a year return, but a weekly podcast. One of my one of my favorite podcasts. And you guys recently did uh, three episodes, I think, that I thought was fascinating, and they came back in my feed. So I thought that uh, maybe you'd be interested in coming in on the show again. Aaron, how are you how are you doing, man? How are you holding up during uh quarantine? I'm I'm doing well. I, I have to admit I was support uh I was surprised to get your invitation because as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is traditionally a roto sports gambling oriented podcast. Well, I mean it is like theoretically it's a sports podcast, but there have been there have been many guests who have been on the show that uh, that don't fall under that line. It's really it's just it's it's my show, right? And, and I love I love Bitcoin and I love gambling and I also love fantasy sports. So they they all just sort of uh, uh, cross sect. 
Well, so tell me, like, what, like, what is the fantasy sports community doing with themselves right now? So right now, we are gambling on Counter Strike Go, mm-hmm. League of Legends, um, iRacing. Like, if you go, if you go on on DraftKings or FanDuel right now, the biggest contests available are going to be for Counter Strike Go. League of Legends, um, there is Outlaw Tour Golf, which is like, to call it even minor league golf would really probably be a disservice to minor league golf. It is, so in Arizona, golf is considered an essential business, so all the courses are still open and everything. And there is a, a tour where guys pay $375 per week to to play on this fake tour, basically, where our first prize is like $4,000, and people are also gambling on that. I like that the golf is lower stakes than the esports. It's probably a harbinger of the future. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know this until uh, the quarantine crisis, but Professional League of Legends is like a whole ass deal. Like these guys make millions of dollars. It is a legitimate spectator sport in South Korea and China. Like it is a it is a huge thing that these people are very serious about. Let me ask you a question. In your day-to-day life, have you ever met someone who watches esports? And uh, you discount anyone who's gambling on it, owns a franchise. I mean, a, a normal person who is simply enjoying it as a spectator. Never in person, right? Never, never have I met a person who just out in the world was like, "Oh yeah, I, I watch League of Legends." But I have met people through you know, just through the internet who like, I don't gamble on this. It's just sort of my side hobby, but I do watch professional league of legends, which seems crazy to me because I don't think I would really watch much of anything sports related that didn't have gambling uh, repercussions, but it seems that it is a thing. Probably people who are a little bit younger than me, I would imagine. I understand like the Twitch stuff makes sense to me because like I am a host of a rambling aimless podcast. So it makes sense to me that people would watch people uh, having rambling aimless discussions while playing video games. Uh, That part I I get the competitive esports stuff. it, It has this strange feeling of everyone wants to tell you how huge it is. And it's how much money people are making, how big the audiences are. But yeah. I still yet to hear the person who's talked about the incredible experience they had watching esports. Or, you know, like I follow like um, House of Highlights. Never yes. seen a uh, clip from an esports event on House of Highlights. It's a little strange. If it's like so incredible, it seems like it would have produced at least a few signature moments. So I'm, I'm short on esports. I'm taking the, uh, I'm taking the unpopular position. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I will say CSGO is like mind numbingly boring. Call of duty, horribly boring to watch league of legends. Once you sort of understand the base rules relatively, not, not exciting. Like I would rather watch a Celtics Hawks game on a Tuesday night then I would watch Professional League of Legends, but it is not without its its certain charm, basically. I mean, it, like, I guess people watch, like, regular season baseball, so anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, regular season baseball is is the television equivalent of 
watching paint dry. So I would, I, I certainly would say in a world where, um, you know, local television baseball rights can go for hundreds of millions of dollars. I understand there being a demand for league of legends. I, More uh, or less. I, you know, you could uh, catch me in two years and uh, I could be uh, all about it. So, yeah. All right. So first thing here that's, uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, because I, I have this opinion and I just am curious what other people believe about this, but Right now, I think because more people are more online than ever, more people are spending more time talking online and are very confused. These really shitty conspiracy theories like QAnon, uh, Bill Gates is behind the coronavirus, so on and so forth, they are more popular and more mainstream. Like like the, the QAnon thing, I believe, was on like the front page of Barstool for a little while. And it is it is confusing to me but also my my take is that people willingly believing these conspiracy theories that are are not even grounded in reality should be deeply should be just as deeply troubling as the coronavirus in terms of like where we are at as a society well i mean i think that the well the the grandfather of all conspiracy theories i guess is the jfk assassination theory and number two on that list is probably um, 9-11 was an inside job. Yeah. So I actually don't think COVID conspiracy, it, it's not, it hasn't reached the major leagues yet. Um, you're, you're still seeing farm teams. Uh, this is, this it, is just on the internet. Your, your grandma doesn't know but that Bill Gates uh, might be at hand for, for the virus. No. The, you're, you're basically talking about people who are radically online who've been radicalized by being online. And that, to me, that's a lower bar. It's incredible to think that the JFK conspiracy theories came out of a pre-internet era where people literally had to word of mouth um, spread these sorts of beliefs. But I read... Um, read a book once that was about a, it's a true crime book in Italy, but um, you know, in the, in the court case, um, a bunch of people uh, basically uh, believed that there was like a satanic conspiracy and someone was sort of looking at the history of conspiracy theory in India, in, in Italy. And basically like the conclusion they came with came to that has resonated with me since then is that conspiracy theory is a way for people who have no power to feel power and to you know if you're really not in the know but you want to feel like you're in the know you want to believe that you know something some truth that the majority of the world is shielded from so to like think about the 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 opposite side of the like QAnon and the Bill Gates is like a super villain um, takes. I think you would probably say that the feeling of having power in America is receding. And uh, those things are filling a void that people need. People need to feel like they're in control of their own destiny and that they are in the know about what's happening. And I, I certainly understand the feeling that drives people to that kind of stuff um it's not uh i won't be following them there um but i think 
something's got to fill that void. We, we can't all feel so completely powerless. And I think that's kind of also what's driving like people who are like, you know, uh, protesting and all of these things. Yeah. Oh, it's not reopen, so much- reopen the economy. Right. Because they, yeah, they, they, I mean, Americans have to be at an all time of feeling powerless. If you're, if you're a left leaning person, you have seen your party, um, you know, uh, abandon anything that you believe in, right? Like the, the 2020 Democratic Party is, I mean, it's not as embarrassing as the 2020 Republican Party, but I don't think the average person can feel as if their voice or their opinions are, are being reflected in governance at all. It's easy to think that conspiracy theory is a partisan issue, but it's not. Uh, conspiracy theory cuts across every political spectrum. And I don't think like, while people on the left and the right may be having a different reaction to the coronavirus, I don't really think there's any political orientation where you don't feel powerless or you, where you really can feel like you do know what's going on. Like this is not a thing that was created by people and people can't uh, beat it. You know, it's not a, Right. It reminds me of when people are, you know, always talking about like, we're going to kick cancer's ass. It's like cancer is not like your political opponent or like a schoolyard bully. Like it's a uh, it's a it's a programming of a cell, you know. And so even though these things are often sort of rooted in political clusters, um, I think that probably on the left and the right, the people who are feeling this way are feeling the same thing, which is. Uh, the erosion of um, control over their own lives. I think that's that's probably pretty reasonable, and people are going to have different reactions to that feeling of the loss of control. I, I would imagine. Um, I guess there certainly is the um, like the millennial like nothing matters anyways. Like you know we we just know that a lot of a lot of young people who feel politically dis affected just like give up caring about anything i guess that is uh that's one way to go about it i i don't know maybe maybe i will feel a little differently as i get older so i i'm i'm 27 and and my basic instinct is just to be mad right just to be upset about the the current political climate about the way that covid-19 is impacting lives and people's inability to take it seriously or or whatever um but maybe maybe that will turn into apathy as I get a little older. You you, you can always wish, uh, right? I mean, the idea that like you're from a generation or someone's from a generation that doesn't give a shit or care—that's also kind of a cyclical idea. Uh, in my youth, you know, the whole idea of like slackers within Generation X—I I guess I'm sort of wedged between your generation and Generation X. But supposedly Generation X didn't give a shit either um, in a totally different way than people perceive millennials not giving a shit. Uh, All these things feel like they're part of like a a grand cycle of how people uh, perceive people in generations that they're close enough to to be annoyed, but not so close enough that they're uh, included. Yeah, I think that... uh... I mean, it is. It's timeless, right? The The older generation is always going to think that the younger generation that's coming up is not doing things how 
they would like them is, is, is squandering the world that was built for them and so on and so forth. Uh, big, the, the, I mean, the thing that, of course, you and I both have the largest mutual interest in is Bitcoin. And, and we can now officially say Bitcoin Sir, has... Pull, I'm pulling out my phone here. It's been, it's been rocketing all day here. I, I, I just I just bought some actually before we went on the show and I am sending a transaction and I have the I have the blockchain explorer up watching my transaction get confirmed. Do you have you ever gotten to a point of sending a Bitcoin transaction and not being scared from the time it is confirmed or unconfirmed to being confirmed? I uh, every single time I move uh, coins, I'm basically convinced that I lost them. Uh, I, I, I like when people say don't keep your coins on exchanges, I'm like, yeah, but like, I have this weird belief that like, if I, if I lose my coins on Coinbase, Coinbase has enough money to just make those things right. I'd kind of rather lose my money on a reputable exchange than lose my money to like self error and a transfer. Well, isn't, uh, isn't Coinbase even FDIC backed? Isn't that true? I don't. I don't know. I don't actually know. Uh, maybe they are. I mean, I don't think that that just means like if like someone sim swaps you that like Coinbase just cuts you a check. But right. in a larger sense, yes. Like at least relatively within Bitcoin, I do think that uh, Gemini and Coinbase um, probably are going to treat that stuff like a startup, um, not like a like uh, you know decentralized An institution cult. So yeah. I almost feel safer there. The person I don't trust is myself. And everyone's like, like, uh, you know, you gotta hold your own keys, but I'm like, hold your own keys or you don't own the Bitcoin. Take the keys away from me. I'm the last person who should be holding the keys. So back when, back when Bitcoin was like a cultural thing. And I think it's like that you, it used to be a thing where like, it, like people would talk about it who were not in the world of, crypto right like bitcoin used to be a thing and it's it's more of a niche thing now i bought a ledger nano and i kept i I, at the time i took all of the coins that i had and put it on there but in the two or three years that's passed i've not bothered to boot it up and put more on there so i i really am just middling it and most of my like or at least half of the crypto that i have is just still on exchanges and i don't like Coinbase is not out here trying to scam anyone for the most part. So you're, you're buying into this rally. Buying into this rally. Um, I mean, I've been, I, so I have, I just have a weekly buy set that I have not tampered mm. with in years. Smart man, um, smart man. And I will, I, ha- I actually have a friend who is, uh, he just bought a house and you know how like when you, you buy a house and you, you're starting to, to move into the next step of your life, you think about like investments and, you know, safe ways to keep your money and everything. So he, he will text me and, and email me a lot about investments and things like that. And he will just always keep me updated on the price of Bitcoin. And pretty much anytime he texts me and he's like, oh, it's, it's red today, you know, I'll buy 10 bucks or whatever. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been following the like uh, um, lottery ticket method of uh sat stacking uh which is basically just like you know uh, when i would buy a scratcher i'd buy a 10 or 20 dollars worth of bitcoin i guess you're getting kind of murdered on the fees by doing that but 
it's not it's not it's not as bad on coinbase these days and um if you're just if you're just sort of routinely buying 10 or 20 dollars you are still probably making more money than if you were like now this is the bottom right we're like you're you're trying to time it because for a large part you know the bitcoin markets are way more irrational and way more volatile than you know like actual stock markets my the main thing I feel like I've learned from following Bitcoin over the last three or four years is almost all of the gains and really losses are concentrated in like one or two, three or four days a year. So yeah. there's not like, unless you believe you can pick those days, four or five days out of 365, trying to time the market is pretty hard. I mean, pretty interesting that, well, not interesting, I guess, I guess coincidental or, or ironic, depending on how you want to use those words that like one of the biggest Bitcoin gain days would be the day that you and I were, were chatting where we have this mutual interest. Um, and we almost had Bitcoin not even that long ago, like literally like a month ago, we almost had it on the Kang line. We got Bitcoin was down to, I believe 3,800 on BitMEX. Yeah. I think I, I picked up some at about, 4,500. Um, and I'm very happy about that now. So Bitcoin though, is as it is now officially weathered a global pandemic, a market crash, you know, we saw, we saw pullbacks of like, you know, four years worth of gains in the stock market be wiped out. We've seen the same. We saw, I mean, we sort of saw the same thing with Bitcoin due to like a, a huge, flash crash. And I, I guess my question to you is, you know, at what point do you feel that BTC, like that Bitcoin is just going to be an intractable part of the global economy? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not actually that knowledgeable about global finance, but the longer, the longer Bitcoin has existed, um, the more of the possible this is why this won't works um start to go away i think um yeah i have stopped really feeling as much like bitcoin is going to get um you know integrated into existing financial systems um i, I, I think we would have seen some evidence of that right like we would have seen, well, like, it depends I mean, what you're looking for, I guess. I mean, you know, there are like ETF kind of stuff now. You can get exposure to Bitcoin through like existing financial instruments. But I just don't really understand why. Like, I don't understand like what the motivation there is, particularly. Um, more I see it as like this separate internet finance cult that um, is operating on its own timeline. But you know, like a religion, um, it looks pretty ridiculous and corny, right, when it's invented. But the further and further you get away from the founding, the more it appears like it's always been there and like it has this kind of weight because of simply continuing to make it. Um, so even though we didn't see Bitcoin pump um, during uh global uh, meltdown which you know some people thought would happen uh we also didn't see bitcoin like go to zero during the global financial meltdown actually it behaved like 
sort of like the stock. It, it literally just behaved like a tech stock, basically. Yep, pretty much. It behaved like a volatile tech stock. And now, um, you know, in another piece of serendipity, um, it happened to have happened just before this big um, halving. So um, not only is it recovering, it's sort of recovering into this very bullish moment, um, you know, relating to mining difficulty. Well, do you, do you have an opinion on the having is priced in the having is not priced in? Do you, do you have, do you have a take on that? My, my human impulse is to believe when people say something is priced in that it's only as priced in as like human psychology. Um, and generally I think everyone probably exaggerates how much is priced in people weirdly don't react to things that and, they know until are the thing happens. Yeah. It, it's not even until the thing happens. It's, it's like a bunch of people who are lined up to start a race and it's like, Hey, we could start the race whenever we want. And then you look over the guy next to you and you go, you first, you first, no, you first. And at some point I think um, the race will be on and everyone, Sorry, my phone, which uh, was my there. <laughs> yeah. um, at a certain point, it'll be like game on. And then everyone goes and recognizes that it wasn't priced in because the guy next to them had not left yet. And then it becomes priced in. But the idea that you can just sort of call at any moment in time, oh, um, that's known. So it's priced in. I mean, by that standard, the, you know, the halving should have been priced in two years ago. All, all of these halvings forever are priced in yet you can see people change things on the fly and that partially has to do with and i don't know as much about this but mining is this very high variable business um that it's really easy to change like one thing in the equation of mining and the whole thing gets shifted so mm -hmm. i'm not really clear that miners have really, really know exactly what's going to happen with it. And I think, you know, a lot of those plans are on longer leads than we're on right now. So, you know, did miners adjust to that crash and not buy as much mining equipment for the next post having? Did people leave, right? Because there's capitulation within mining itself also. I think it's just one of those things that's like a little too complicated to just assume that like, everyone who is in any way involved with Bitcoin has like rationally ingested uh, this information and, and adjusted accordingly. I mean, I think that's probably, I, I, in terms of like my own, how much do I think that it's worth? I have not thought about the happening at all because my, my supposition is just that this thing is so inherently valuable because it can't be, modified by outside forces that it just it like at a certain point it just doesn't even matter to me like i just i just think that the the thing itself is so valuable and actually before i forget i've wanted to ask you this question before and i don't think i have like the the worst thing about bitcoin is the political beliefs of the people who are really on the forefront of bitcoin right like that is that is far and away my least favorite thing that the that like the you know libertarian dorks are the ones who are really pushing bitcoin like I, I i don't i mean how like do you have a, a a mental reconciliation that you have done to be like 
yes, these guys are dorks, but it's fine because of X, Y, and Z. I mean, so, like, I'm not a real gambler. You're a real gambler. But um, this is how me, not a real gambler, processes a gambling situation, which is mm-hmm. there's the thing I want to happen. Uh, I want the Golden State Warriors uh, to win uh, the NBA playoffs. Um, but maybe I look at the, the line there and I'm like, I just don't like it. Like they're, you know, the, this is in the past. They're too favored already. You know, I'm, I prefer uh, the, uh, a, uh, a team with uh, odds that, that, that feel more like I can really make some money if this comes through. And I guess I look at like, yes, when you buy Bitcoin, you are in some ways sort of voting for a like wild uh, libertarian political situation. And that's not the right. situation that I want. However, Correct. what those people are seeing in the world, I identify as real. And I think that they have a real case to make and a real point. Like you can already see in the pandemic, there are a lot more normal people who have been radicalized against the Fed money printer, right? Like the um, money printer go burr meme is probably like disseminated far, far more than any Austrian school uh, economics text ever has been. So when I I sort of look... Sorry. Yeah, you, you, well, your point that you made on Coin Talk show that the, the largest societal impact of Bitcoin has been um, educating people like me who like I didn't, I didn't study economics in school. I didn't, you know, like learning about what the Federal Reserve does was not a part of my education at all. And I would have never even encountered that idea without Bitcoin. So I'm not a like strident libertarian. I don't wish to live in a Bitcoin maximalist wasteland, but um, I think the world is actually a little closer to that than people realize. So I think there's value in investing in, um, call it like hedging against, like there's the world I want and in some ways owning Bitcoin is hedging and being like, but if the world goes this direction, like at least I'm covered, right? Like I, I want to be. Yeah, like, if uh, I'm wrong in the in the maximalist wastelands, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, so I think one of the things that kids should—I mean, maybe not kids, maybe high school students and and college students should learn—is that you you really want to line up your financial incentives, you know, as close as possible with the oligarchy, right? And yes. owning o- owning Bitcoin and owning stocks, just owning owning things in general that fight against inflation that that actually gain value as currency inflates that's actually the easiest and simplest way to align yourself with the the uber rich i think in a larger sense like i don't have my entire net worth in bitcoin right so if i think that the same bitcoin libertarian (laughs) worldview is a hundred percent likely to occur well then you should put your net worth in it if you think, hey, that's kind of interesting, even though these guys are kind of wackos, they got some points, maybe they're three or 4%, right? Okay, well, maybe you want your portfolio to be three or 4% Bitcoin. I think that's actually reasonable. I think it's, I think it's reasonable to, you know, even if you're a conservative investor, like get 1% of your portfolio to have exposure to Bitcoin, right? Like, it's not like, 
everyone who has exposure to oil right now is voting for a like 100% fossil fuels uh, future. Um, just like it's not like, like I'm sure I have exposure to Facebook stock also. And, you know, I find the management of Facebook uh, at least as noxious as I find like uh, Bitcoin maximalism. Um, on the other hand, when I look at Facebook, I'm like, it seems like a good business to be in. Right. Yeah. Facebook is going to exist regardless of how you personally feel about it. See that, I mean, that's basically thinking like a gambler. You, you like, if you, if your supposition is that you are not a gambler, like what you just said is basically like thinking in, thinking in percentages, thinking in probability. That's like skill number one of gambling, basically. The thing that makes me attracted to gambling on Bitcoin, whereas I'm not actually um, interested in gambling on sports, say, is sure. I actually think that the the life experience I have, um, you know, I have a background in doing product design and, um, you know, I've been involved in a lot of sort of like small do-it-yourself projects. Um, I'm not going to say it like gives me any like edge in Bitcoin investing, but like it really captured my imagination and mind. And I do think that when something captures you that way, even if parts of it like make you uncomfortable, like there, that is like a sense in yourself that you should like listen to. Um, not necessarily about Bitcoin to whatever it is. Like if there's something that it's like, man, I just can't stop thinking about this. This is like, so like, this is like a revolutionary idea. In general, I'm like, uh, well, I, I'm not like the kind of guy who's like, it's a revolutionary idea. I'm throwing every cent I have into it, but it's like, yeah, I'd like, like, I'd like to think if I'm like, right, that like, I'll, I'll you know, I'll see a little upside there. And, um, you know, of course the terrible thing about Bitcoin is you start there and then like, uh, three weeks later you're buying shit coins and, uh, of the gains you made from Bitcoin, which actually is a good idea, go into shitcoin gambling. But that's the descent of uh, the gambling mindset. Man, I <laughs> do. I mean, do shitcoins even really exist anymore? Because I, oh, yeah. I at at some point, I have been I've been radicalized to the point of being like, I don't, I I uh, do not have any interest in owning uh, stellar lumens anymore. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not combing through for Denticoin or Sumo coin anymore. And I mean, that, that is when, when we were in alt summer, truly in, uh, in 2017, that was like, that was like the worst period of crypto. So on one hand, that was a deeply, deeply laughable, um, you know, experience. On the other hand, we're headed back to 10,000 right now. Having yeah. crossed it several times now. So I think actually, you know, the next time Bitcoin is ranging between 10 and 20,000, instead of people thinking, oh, this is insane hysteria, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this isn't even an all time high. It's actually going to be more normal. And you can generally expect certain altcoins to do well in that situation. You know, the last time we had an insane, uh, hysteria run. Uh, the only things I, I, I could be wrong about this, but my memory is that it, the only things that were available on Coinbase were uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Maybe Correct. a couple yeah. of Bitcoin forks, but I'm not sure they even supporting those. 
you know, I, I was on, I hadn't been on Coinbase for actually like six months. I, I just went on it this morning, not even in preparation for this. I don't remember why I was on it, but I was like, oh, hmm, okay. We got Zcash on here now. We got There's Cosmos. like 20 coins on there. Yeah. So like maybe our shit coins dead. I'm not sure. But like what's left of the altcoin movement is now available with fiat, which is a pretty big deal. You know, it's a pretty big deal that uh, you could uh, you can log on and buy a privacy coin on Coinbase, you know. Um, so personally, I remain somewhat bullish. I don't know about the shitcoin market. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, prestige, how do you the prestige alt market? Well, how do you are you is your stance still that the biggest use case in crypto is those privacy coins so like Zcash and Monero? I still believe that, yes. Um, there's a variety of reasons behind that. Um, but, you know, we're, ed- we're headed into an era with, like, the pandemic of, like, not only greater surveillance, but actually greater uh, societal um, acceptance of surveillance. Um, so something like Bitcoin, like it's wild to me that people are still like money laundering Bitcoin. People are still doing crime with Bitcoin and using it as a, it's like the most traceable thing. Yeah, it's America. like not hard to trace. That's, uh, that is, I mean, not that I try and get in Bitcoin debates that much these days. I feel like I've, I've grown past that enough, but uh, like just the idea that Bitcoin's primary use case is crime is like a, a very annoying thing. I mean, it's not incorrect that crypto's primary current usage is as a money laundering instrument. I think that's true. Um, you know, I've, I've been learning a lot about money laundering recently, actually, for a project I'm working on. But in general, I think as it matures, what you'll see is that the different use cases each have their own faction. And eventually, people will be using coins for what. So there will be a like a crime coin, uh, anonymous, uh, paranoid coin, and then there will be like extremely transparent, like it auto reports to the IRS kinds of coins. So my bullishness on like Monero and Zcash is that let's take Monero for for instance it's actually following kind of the same path that Bitcoin did. Bitcoin was popularized by its use in darknet markets, um, like Silk Road, Monero is its replacement. When I look at the market cap of Monero right now, it's very appealing. If it's like on the path to being like the thing people actually use for all of this online money moving, it's got a lot of ceiling uh, on top of it. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm like, gonna go and start using Monero, but we've right. already like seen how you can kind of make that jump. You know, enough people get it in their wallet, enough of people start using it, it very well could end up being like one of the few that survives. I, I do I do truly think also that like we're headed for a future in which there's still only like like the top ten or twenty projects are all that matters. Right. So the fact that those coins have also existed for a long time, those privacy coins, like, you know, it's pretty crazy. Like, I don't know if um, you were following crypto at this point, 
But there was a point in time where people were like, Coinbase will never, ever allow an anonymous coin. It would put them directly in the sights of government regulators. This morning, yeah, they, yeah, Zcash and Coinbase. Yeah, they'll never, they'll never allow privacy coins. Um, people believed for a long time that Ethereum was that, like the flippening was going to happen. That was a big uh, yep. Ethereum community thing. I don't even think Ethereum people hold that value anymore. I think. Um, do you do you like Nassim Taleb? Um, I mean, I, I enjoy following him. I'm not sure I'd like want to be like trapped in a room with him for too long. I, but I I hate his Twitter, but I actually like his books. But I mean, a big thing that he talks about in all of his books repeatedly is like the concept of like, you know, the longer something has been true, the more like Lindy, the Lindy rule. You know, just the the longer something has been true, the more likely it is to be true. And I think that a rule that could be applied there in the crypto world is that all these altcoins just fail all the time and they have these huge volatile swings. And, you know, we think, we think Bitcoin is volatile, but like try owning uh, XRP, like it, like the experiences and the values are, are just so completely different. This is something that's probably also true in open source software as a whole, which is the majority of projects will die within the first year. The majority of GitHub repos you're ever going to come across there's going to be no pull requests for a very, very long time. And then there's going to be a, a, a small, at the very top of the pyramid, there's a small number of projects that continue to be active. And when someone, like a, a person who cares about this kind of stuff, comes across a GitHub repo, they're kind of going to look at stuff like that. They're not going to, like, no one wants to implement an SDK that's a month old. But if you see something that's stable and has been around for a while, that's a huge vote in its favor. So I actually think that privacy coins probably are following the course of Bitcoin where there's now, now we should, we're just going to use Zcash or Monero because they have the long chain, they have the history of stability and particularly something like an anonymous coin. You really kind of have to believe like people who are using it um, in things like darknet markets, there has to be like liquidity to get out. There has to be ways that people can get on the fiat on ramps. People think it's like easy to make a coin, but there's no real point in having a coin that you can't buy anywhere. No one's mining. No one's doing these things. It's actually pretty hard to bring one of these projects to maturity. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no point in a coin that you can hold and you'd never be able to sell, right? Like, I mean, just that there's no, like, what is your... What is your incentive to mine something that no one will buy? Even if, even if you know, on coin market cap or whatever, it's listed at being worth like eight cents. Like, who are you selling this to for eight cents? Even Monero. So I don't know if you saw this news, but um, there was a Norwegian guy. He's one of the richest men in Norway. And um, he said that his wife had been abducted from their house and that they, uh, the kidnappers left a um, note demanding a $10 million, you know, the equivalent of $10 million worth of Monero. And for a while, this was actually like kind of considered one of the like biggest crypto ransom crimes uh, ever. And this week it came out, he, he was arrested and he's been charged with, with murdering her and, and faking the whole thing. I don't know how he got the idea. Uh, I, I remember the original story. I had not heard the update that he was charged with murder. So 
you know, in addition to the whole thing being fake, which I guess makes it irrelevant, and I am curious, like, how he got the idea of a Monero ransom. It's, I mean, the guy's like 70 years old. Um, I don't know if, like, his grandson told him about Monero or something. But I was thinking, if you really wanted to get $10 million worth of Monero, I don't even know how you would do that. Like, I don't, I don't know, know. Who, who's, who's sending it to you. Who, like, like who's there's not. Selling them? Yeah. What, like, what exchange has, like, a $10 million sell side? of Monero. I don't think there's anything close. Like when I look at like, what's the market cap of Monero? Monero market cap. Okay. So there is, Monero has about a billion dollars, $1.06 billion market cap. So if you were to get $10 million of Monero, you would have to get 10, uh, you'd have to get 1% of the world's total supply of Monero. You got to think that like most people who have large, large whale amounts of Monero are just sitting on it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's not like, on a, That's not on an exchange. That's like a that's like a um, over the counter challenge. Like maybe there's like one broker in the world who can go and tap every source he has and get you them. But you certainly couldn't do it quietly. Which is he would, the 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 ransom note was supposed to be that you were going to deliver ten million dollars worth of Monero and not tell the police. That alone may have been a clue that this was fake because I, I don't actually think Yeah, just not understanding the market dynamics? Yeah, well, and like thinking that that would be like a realistic thing. And it is realistic that like people pay crimey stuff with Monero, but I, th- I think it would be impossible to get that much Monero, at least on short notice. Uh, I'm curious. Maybe if there's a listener out there, they would explain how someone would uh, go about this. I mean, they would, it would have to be like going around to different stores to get all the ingredients you need for some dish that it has a bunch of sophisticated ingredients, right? Like that, that, I mean, there, there, I'm sure there's a better analogy to come up with, but you could not go to one exchange. You'd have to go to like four different exchanges and I don't know, I guess send a million dollars or $10 million worth of Monero onto your ledger nano, right? Like I, I don't see another way out of it. You'd also be like massively pumping the price of Monero if you're trying to get 1% of the supply all at once. Every seller, like yeah. there's a bunch of sellers who are selling way, way, way above the current price. So you would be basically riding Monero all the way up uh, in order to do it. I don't know if the um, ransom was denominated in Monero or dollars because you'd actually be screwing up you it would actually get more expensive as you went if you uh pumped the price while you were trying to raise the ransom uh so since you since you just reminded me of that do you remember when the canadian exchange got hacked and basically there was about uh like roughly like 500 um, like 500 million dollars worth of bitcoin like gone you're talking about Quadriga? Quadriga. There we go. Yep. Uh, well, Quadriga, the guy, the, the guy supposedly died. died. Right. Yes. Um, I do remember that. Yes. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking right now. I'm trying to remember what happened. I don't, I, I, I don't even lot, know. I know I a lot about that case. I think you might be, there, there's a couple cases. That, uh, there's a couple so, Canadian cases. I, I'm literally, I'm literally, 
I'm Googling as we are talking right now, and there's a different Canadian exchange where where armed robbers showed up to the physical location of the exchange and attempted to have Bitcoin transferred to them onto a wallet in person. So I'm probably going to read about that when we uh, when we get off of the air. What what happened with the Quadriga case? Well, Quadriga, the guy Gerald Cotton, who um, was the owner, supposedly died in India and um, lost. They lost his passwords, but. Uh, there's some question about whether he, he might still be alive. Yeah. Uh, the money has not resurfaced. And, and if honestly, you, if, you, if you want to liquidate that much currency, it's very difficult. This is kind of like why people stop like, stealing like, great paintings and things like this. There's, there's no real way to like, sell them. Um, yeah. If you steal enough, particularly like altcoins that aren't as liquid, very hard to unload those you know the, the gox hack they basically started an exchange btce was uh, a partnership between uh, the guy who ran it and the thieves from mount gox they were just operating an exchange to be able to sell off all the mount gox coins yeah which is which is wild i wonder how many people who own bitcoin now know about the mount gox thing like i i, I have to think it's actually a really low percentage Oh, I, I think most people will know about it. It's kind of it's kind of a legendary occurrence. And also, like if you've studied like the history of Bitcoin price at all, and, and sort of what the low moments were, that was like that was probably the closest Bitcoin came to the chain dying. The, the closest Bitcoin actually came to coming to zero, I, I think, would have probably been the days right after Knox. Um, and I always look at that where I'm like, well, if it could survive that in its infancy, what could Bitcoin survive now, now that it's more mature? I mean, I get the, the argument against Bitcoin is like, okay, what happens if the United States says it is illegal to possess and transact in Bitcoin? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to this question, but that is the argument that you will get is people will say, okay, what happens then? It's possible that that would have a positive impact on the price. Yeah, I mean, I so I tend to agree with you, but I also view everything related to Bitcoin specifically with incredibly positive lenses. I'm just like, it's never going to die. It's always going to hold its value, right? Like that's just, that's always been my opinion. A, a sort of a, a, the, the same question might be like, what happened to the number of people gambling in America when online uh, poker was uh, outlawed? You definitely see people changing their behavior around those things. You don't necessarily see like them dying off. Um, you know, a lot of like popular gambling formats have never really been fully legal in America. And certainly as long as it's legal somewhere. I mean, this is the interesting thing I think about like Bitcoin in general is like, I think it's actually more likely that something like mining would be banned by a nation, at least initially. But it's like you can run the entire – the two things that the network needs to run are people mining and people having internet access to make transfers. Those things are really hard to, to, to rule out. There's always going to be some country where they're going to allow mining, and there's always going to be the internet. So I don't really know how you put the cat back in the bag, um, even if you wanted to. By the way, let me tell you, Online gambling and online poker, 
by far and away the biggest winners. Uh, well, there's not sports to gamble on, but online poker and and certain forms of online gambling, huge winners of uh, of the quarantine. All the all the states with legal online casinos and stuff are reporting like 200% month over month increases in traffic. Let me ask you a question because you know more about this than I do. So I wanted to play poker with some friends and no financial component at all. Like we'll mm-hmm. sell up our own thing on Venmo. Yeah. Like how do I get like, um, like Fortnite squads for poker? Like how do I just very easy network with my friends and play poker? You want to do it on your phone or do you want to do it on your computer? Let's say computer. So computer, very easy. You just down, you just go to pokerstars.net instead of .com. You download the software and inside the software, you create a home game and it, it comes with like its own uh, club ID number and password that the creator decides. You put that in the group chat with your buddies and you guys download it and it's your own little poker club in PokerStars and you guys can settle up uh, offline on Venmo like, or PenPal. What is it denominated in like PokerStars? Oh, so, so they're like, they're, um, you got, I think you have to spend $3 and you can buy... A, a million like poker stars coins or whatever. And they, they don't let you play cash games where it's like denominated in and like the blinds never change and you just play around and around. They, they're denominated in sit and go. So it's like, you know, five people and the blinds escalate over, you know, every 10 minutes and, and until one person has all the chips. Oh, so it like basically makes you play like a tournament. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. It's a little annoying, but probably workable. There is, there is an app called poker P but it's with three P's that people like, and that you can do that on your phone. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is like that. I would say that's probably the biggest form that online poker is taking right now is that these sites that allow like home games basically with your buddies are like, flourishing right now yeah i mean that's what i'd like to do i, I mean uh, i've been playing fortnite with some friends every night but i'm getting pretty sick of it uh i'd rather play something that i have probably higher skill level at yeah i mean i i have enjoyed i've enjoyed playing um online a lot also uh global poker i don't know if you've heard of it 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 uses like you would actually find the way that it um, navigates the legality of online poker in the United States via sweepstakes rules. Very fascinating, and mm-hmm. that it, like it, it is just it is just legal. Um, so and it, I I would think that you would find it interesting, and and you can play like tournaments and stuff on there as well for real money. No, I've never been a good uh, tournament player. My uh, my preferred uh, style is uh, just grinding people over time and trying to outlast. Uh, outlast people's attention span and tightness just uh the just playing like a real life um uh niche from rounders i i like um i like to be in a situation where other people are eager more eager than i am to either win all the money or go home or yeah part with their money or or take all of your money but either way just get it all in yeah, because like I, I feel like it also as you get older, and like everyone's got kids, there's like a everyone has more of an uh, impulse to like try and get it in in like an hour, which is a very easy poker situation to beat people. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, I think the uh, 
the the like the five ten person sit and goes or whatever on stars i think i think that would uh i think that'd work with your friends i think that you'd probably enjoy it all right um, I'll, rep- I'll report back to you on it I'll, uh, yeah let I'll, me know i i i download it tonight okay yeah i mean i i uh it gave me like because i played online poker before black friday and it just gave it, it just even being able to have poker stars on my computer kind of gave me the warm fuzzies to a to a much simpler time in my life uh while we're while we're on crypto though what is the what was the final fate of libra and do you think we will ever see facebook coin amazon coin walmart coin or do you think that the let there are just too many legislative hurdles to hop over well, you know, I, I can't say that I followed it like up to the minute. Uh, yeah, I was hoping you did because I, I just gave up on it. I followed it somewhat. So the last I heard, a bunch of the companies that were originally in dropped out, like almost all of them. All, almost all the ones that like are like, whoa, they're involved. They're no longer involved. No one else wanted to be involved. And it actually seemed like when people left, they were like, we actually didn't want to do this in the first place. Uh, we just got bullied by Facebook. Uh, we're, we're not we're not into this, uh, so it's it's a lot lonelier, I believe, in Libra Land now. Um, I don't think that they've given up, although I think that they are like the guy David Marcus who runs it. That's his name, David Marcus. Um, it seems like he's increasingly trying to uh, brand it outside of it being a Facebook product. So. You know, I think they operate out of like Switzerland and like the whole project, like if there was a 1.0 representation of the project, it was like, it's Facebook and friends and 2.0 version of it. It's like, it's not Facebook and it's just us. No one else is involved. It's not like a consortium of American businesses. Um, my guess is that it will happen and it will be a, a, a a bust now yeah like I it think. just won't it won't have the societal impact at all the way that they were kind of intending in the way that we kind of thought when it was discussed like, originally it seems like they've gone far enough that if they were just going to pull the plug the time to pull the plug was earlier mm-hmm. but it just like i mean the other the other cross current that's happening is this massive massive interest in other stable coins and while Libra is still basically, you know, in its like creative cocoon trying to figure it out. Um, I think the tether printer has been printing heavily this week, uh, which is uh, probably good for people who are holding Bitcoin. Um, and then additionally, we have there's Circle. I mean, there's just like all of these stable coins that are real and like already exist and are not backed by Facebook, but are backed by like, pretty reputable companies so i guess i wonder like maybe the real libra is just going to be like building on top of one of these existing stable coins and building it into facebook or maybe it comes out and it wipes out the rest of the stable coin market i just have trouble believing like when you just think ideologically about people in crypto I don't think anyone in crypto wants Libra. So it would have to be like radicalizing a bunch of people who are outside of crypto. And that's kind of the Holy grail, but I I haven't seen like a lot of indication that that like that's going to happen that like 
um, there's going to be something other than Bitcoin that draws people interested in stuff. You don't really know that you would want a stable coin unless you're already interested in crypto and already have Bitcoin. Like, I think the value proposition of Libra, I guess it's always like Facebook bucks, but the people who sort of get the need for a stable coin are the people who already bought Bitcoin. So I'm going to say uh, at this point, I, I predict it will continue to be a, a background uh, entity. I think that is, I think that is likely correct. I just, the, the concept was too powerful for people who already hate the idea of large, powerful entities that exist outside of the government. And, and to be, and to be, I mean, Facebook and Google and Amazon are already like, half of the government anyways. So I just, you know, we didn't need the extension of those services even further, you know? Yeah. And Facebook is, it's the tentacles are just too deep. I mean, here's what I'll say. If it does work, I predict that it will be like irrelevant in America and there will be some developing economy where people just start using Libra, which is probably what their plan was in the first place. So maybe it's just succeeding and uh, not for this market, not for the uh, me and you market. Pretty pretty good transition point here, though, which was uh, the idea that you and Jay talked about that uh, right now signing up for like a benevolent dictatorship is something I, I would actually maybe consider because the United States federal government, it, it just, it seems like it's not only a terrible idea, but a terrible idea being run by just, you know, stone cold morons like these these people can't even figure out ways to distribute money to to the people that need it right like uh i feel like countries with benevolent dictatorships and resources uh would be just in a much better position you know fighting covid and this this uh inflation and everything than the united states is set up to do i think that was a kang point so i'm uh I, even though kang might have been a kang re point re reversed himself on it uh the 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 point for me was like you know in general it feels like we're getting the worst of all worlds uh in which yeah. we're not actually like equipped to protect people against covid we can't tell them what to do to deal with it uh we're sort of paralyzed between like um freedom and like um uh efficient response and, you know, I'm not like, I'm not one to be, I'm not one to be like, I am critical of the government, but I think what you're seeing, and I guess this is probably like why um, on some level, you know, I don't really identify with the libertarians of Bitcoin is these are really hard problems that have existed in society throughout time like right. governing people is really hard like it's very hard uh to deal with the needs of a group and to represent people to, to elect people to go uh represent them so you know even though i strongly strongly like dislike the president and i think he's doing the worst possible job i also don't want that job and i don't think i would i i don't the, the pandemic is like the first thing that I can remember in a while that I'm like, I don't have any take on this. I don't have, I don't have a I, solution to this. Yeah. I don't like, I, I don't think I would do a better job 
than you. You know, I can look at like Roger Goodell and be like, I could run the NFL better than this. You're a joke. I don't look at what's happening in America and go, you should like, it's obvious what to do. Like, I really don't know. Or, or any country, right? Or, or, or any country. Or, or any this country. Is, yeah. This is just the country that, you know, that I'm already familiar with. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, uh, I do not, I do not envy the people making these decisions as like, because what's, we're in a very interesting period when you and I are recording this where New York is like a, just a death zone, right? It seems like the case yeah. fatality rate for COVID-19 in New York is horrible. And then everywhere else in the United States, we're looking at all the evidence we get is that a lot of people are infected, but the death rate is really low pretty much everywhere than New York. But on the other hand, we don't want other places in the United States to turn into New York. So, and then, and then it, it's at this point that you get in the circle of like, well, who knows? Like, no one knows. Where do you live? I live in St. Louis, Missouri, out in the, out in the suburbs. What's the, what's the COVID situation in St. Louis? Um, I would imagine where I live specifically in St. Louis, it is like, probably like if i wanted to go to a hospital right now i could just go and get in and it would like it just there they wouldn't be out of ventilators or whatever maybe more towards like some of the the like inner city hospitals but far and away missouri kansas oklahoma these midwestern states with lots of space and where and even in the cities where people are not crammed in on top of each other the the covid situation is just it's it's not dire right like it's just yeah. it's not it's not it's not the catastrophe that it's been in italy in um wuhan in new york city yeah. it just has not been that bad yeah and it's it's it, it complicates our understanding of all this stuff that it's like well that's something we learned from all sheltering in place in Missouri and New York, you know, was okay. Under these circumstances, it gets pretty catastrophically bad in New York and it almost nothing happens in Missouri. So the, the, the part of me that sort of is resistant to takes um, to put it, I guess, in like a sports analogy, it's like, well, yeah, like we now know much more about like, how to defend against this team because like we've already seen them for a half, you know, now there actually are some like strategic things to do. And some of those strategic things might've seemed like a bad idea to me a month ago, you know, like I probably would have said reopening places is terrible now, you know, maybe that makes sense like in Missouri, but I don't think that really invalidates what happened before the evidence that is allowing us to make those decisions now is what has happened over the last six weeks. So I guess my general take is like a lot of the takes coming out about it now are like kind of hindsight 2020 um, takes. Where it's yeah. Like, it's, like, well, it's like the, the Y2K thing, right? Exactly Y2K was going to be a huge, yeah, it was going to be a huge problem. They worked to fix it. And now everyone says it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, yeah, it's a hundred percent. That's what's happening. And I also would sort of, I also caution myself that like when a lot of people were making these models that were like, what those models were way off. It was like, well, a lot of those are like six, 12, 18 month models. Um, 
don't don't be too sure that there's not going to be like uh you know uh act two revenge of the uh covid the corona yeah i mean it's it's just like okay well the first the first act didn't go as planned or i went you know in new york one way and i went missouri another way it doesn't necessarily mean like that's the end like there could be a dramatic shift i think that 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 reorients all that understanding you know it's funny actually i gotta go in a second so i'll uh, i'll try and tie all these things together yeah let's There's do a it certain level of um like how people respond to covid that kind of reminds me of how people respond to bitcoin which is people want to like graft a lot of like ideology onto it you know and be like you know we talked earlier about oh we're gonna kick its ass or we're gonna do this we can't be afraid of it no fear you know and look it's just a it's just a replicating piece of code same thing with like bitcoin bitcoin is not like inherently libertarian or inherently uh you know some sort of right-wing plot or something like that it's just like a open piece of source of software that allows people to transfer value on everything else we put onto it is human and people have like a really hard time dealing with the idea of something that's truly um, agnostic and the ideology. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it means nothing. COVID doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything and Bitcoin doesn't mean anything. It's only sort of what we do with it and how we react to it and how it affects our lives. So I think there's been like sort of an urge in, in the COVID response to be like, we got to like show this virus what's what, you know? And it's like, no, it, it's totally immune to these kinds of rah, rah, rah uh, statements. It's also like immune to like, well, we've seen how it acted last week. We'll know how it'll act next week. It's immune to all of that. Like just like the people who are like, Bitcoin's going to go to zero. It's like, all right. I mean, that would just be how humans trade it. But like, I, I kind of have come to caution myself against um, uh, assuming that I know exactly how something is going to behave when it itself is not behaving rationally or, or based on any sort of agenda. Those are the scariest things. Like it, uh, a computer is a computer or a piece of code or a virus, I think is a lot scarier than like a human enemy. And most people don't, really ever think about trying to combat something that doesn't have an agenda we we we're conditioned to assume that our war is going to be against other people or against ideas but uh this is not any of those things there we have it everyone aaron lammer you can listen to his podcast on the uh it's a, it's the long form podcast maybe you can listen to coin talk show do you have anything we'll, else to we'll promote right now we'll be we'll be back um I have another project that I can't talk about yet, but you got to have me back when that one comes out. It will be interesting to your listeners. All right, man. Anytime, literally, literally anytime. Uh, that was, that was great. Thank you. Thank you for chatting. Thank you. 
Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.